We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. So the LA Rams will be the number two seed. They finish 13 and 3, a 13 win season for the third time in franchise history. I've been dreaming this my whole life. This don't have you. It's time to put in the work. Every man go dominate. Offense, defense, special teams. Let's go. What are we talking about? Greg Zerline sends the Rams to the Super Bowl. Hey, hey, welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Paul, my co-host, my partner in crime, former Los Angeles Rams defensive back Michael Stewart. Yes, we're yes, back. Sir. We're back. A little bit of a hiatus. Yeah. It feels like a lot of hiatuses of late. Sorry, we're not as usual on the episodes. Uh, as many of you know, I'm out there looking for jobs and, and trying to, to uh, find a way in this COVID world. Mike, you've been busy 
on your own stuff as well. And, and, and I guess now we're, we're starting to sell into summer. How you doing? Man, doing good, man. It's just, uh, man, it's a little busier than I, I anticipated of doing some uh, credentialing stuff. And I had to pick up an extra class, found out I was a, a unit short on a PE uh, part for my PIP or STIP, as we call it out here. And so I had to pick up an extra class to to satisfy that. So, man, I've been uh, hitting the books pretty hard this summer. And here, I thought you were showing like a villain. I guess not. <laughs> right. I mean, really. So you're busy at home getting the, the work done for licensure. I'm out here working, finishing the job out here uh, with the uh, the property and trying to find a job. In the meantime, very little about the Rams here are getting getting closer and closer. It's June 23rd, and you know camp's not far away. It's June 23rd. We're we're what mid mid July, late mid to late July. We start seeing more and more camps opening up. We're getting closer and closer, but nothing is being talked about that's important, right? Yeah, it's just kind of a I don't want to say somewhat quiet on the front, but somewhat quiet on the front. So. <laughs> Somewhat uh, quiet but, on the front. Yeah, but it's <laughs> something's got to be brewing in the background. I know they're still, you know, trying to throw around some different options and different things. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what these next couple weeks hold. Well, especially with this uh, resurgence of COVID, um, it's to me it's very interesting to watch. We're seeing this resurgence. I think mostly because people got, you know, well, we knew once we reopened, we're going to see more cases, and I think that. The, the craziness about people saying, oh, no, the world's falling. The world's over. It's all back. No, we went back to work. <laughs> we're going to have more cases. Um, exactly. But we're seeing more cases in younger people now. Right. Which, talk, which tells me it's, it's really carelessness. But you got these guys who are 25, 30 years old going out and playing football in practice. I can see real quick how this can go bad. The, at least a good thing is with COVID that the death rate is dropping now. I mean, that's that's nice. I'm not sure if it's because of us figuring out how to treat it or if it's because it's summer and people can get out in the sun and really kind of work on that immune system. I don't know. I'm, I'm not the doctor here, but at least that's the good news. But what other side of there being no real baseball yet? Baseball starting, I guess, soon. Uh, basketball's going to start up soon again. Hockey's going to start up soon. But there's really not much unless you want to watch UFC. Yeah, I, I haven't really, you know, it's been interesting. Uh, I haven't watched a lot of TV at all, you know, because every, everything seems to be on a rerun status. Mm -hmm. uh, so, man, me and, me and my lovely wife, we were thinking like, man, do we really need cable? Because now it's been, you know about three or four months that we really haven't turned the TV on. You know, we have our grandson over and, you know, we flip it on so they can watch some cartoons or something like that. But yeah. So I think everybody's anxious to, you know, get back to some normalcy when it comes to sports, you know, obviously give some outlets to go do something, whether it's family time or just to go cheer on your favorite team or just to have something else to do. So It'll be interesting to see how everything plays out after this, you know, opening, reopening phase kind of gets another week down the road to see what the numbers look then. Well, and in the meantime, though, there are a few conversations I think 
I'd like to address. And today, really, sure. on social media, I don't know why. It just keeps popping up one or two threads every few days. And the same thing keeps popping up. The Rams, quote-unquote, should sign Colin Kaepernick. And I'm going to keep the politics of it out. That that's I'm, At this point, I think people are tuning the podcast to get away from the craziness we're seeing here. We'll let those chips fall where they may. I just want to talk football on this. Well, A, I guess I want to ask you, why do you think that we're seeing so many fans making the case for the Rams to sign Colin Kaepernick? And B, what do you think would be, in your view, the pauses of signing him as a football player? Well, I would say the fans, uh, and like I said, I know we're kind of thinking like, hey, you're not politics, but I think part of the politics or maybe possibly of what uh, Cap somewhat isn't playing for, you know, because it's front and center to agree. I would say the fans would say, man, it would be cool to have that guy on our team. You know, someone who's actually maybe stood for something, whether you like it or not. You know, sometimes when you stand for something you believe in and you're willing to, you know, lose money, resources, job and sometimes your life. Sometimes that is is somewhat attracting, but it almost seems like, hey, man, we're the Rams. You know, we got this new stadium coming. We got an up and coming uh, style of coaching and play. We got, you know, somewhat a young management team. Man, this would be cool for California. You know, this is what we do in California. We make waves. We do stuff differently. Uh, I think that's part of it. The other part of it is the Ram fans also know the times that we played against Cap and the times he's diced us up, you know, when he's with the Niners. You know, you have to figure a guy who's in his early 30s, though he hasn't played in a number of years, you know, as far as, let's just say, backup sake, uh, has a lot of tools and a lot of things that he could do. And maybe the fact that he's playing for a coach McVay type, um, he would be able to dial into his skill set if he was a guy who had to play in case uh, Jared got hurt. That's, and that's what I'm wondering about. I mean, I've, I've seen the argument and made enough, but I just don't see how he's a fit. And there's a game, you mentioned him burn the Rams, and he has. He, especially early in his career, he really did burn the Rams. But there was a Monday night game, I'm not sure if you remember this, against the foreign between Rams and 49ers. And they were at the goal line, 49ers were, and Kaepernick missed an open touchdown. Easy read. A read that any professional quarterback Backup even should make. Missed it. He tended to miss a lot of those reads throughout his career. In in that Rams offense, you can't miss reads like that. As much as we complain about Jared Goff not making his reads in 2018, he was actually one of the top quarterbacks on completing passes to his second and third reads. That tells you a lot about the Rams protection, doesn't it? But in Kaepernick's issues, if there's a flaw in his game, that play stood out to me as a great example of one of his flaws is he does not great at reading defenses. The Rams offense is, is built on reading defenses. The other concern for me is 
his style overall, his style overall, but he, he hasn't faced NFL speed in five years, man. Having come in there on your roster, hasn't faced NFL speed in five years, hasn't completed an NFL pass in five years, he would have to learn that offense. And honestly, when you have a quarterback that you're spending millions of dollars on like Jared Goff, my question would be, is it wise to bring in a person like Kaepernick who I would presume would probably have Jared Goff looking over his shoulder a little bit at him? Yeah, that's just you know my perspective when it comes to Kaepernick. Is it, it's to me, it's not a good schematic fit. His flaws don't fit. But that does also concern me about what effect will it have in the locker room with Jared Goff, who should be at this point, and we'll find out. He should be your unquestioned leader on offense now. Well, you know, he should be. But the thing is, again, we're not talking about Pop Warner football. We're not talking about high school or even college. We're talking about the National Football League when everything is to win championships. And, yeah, do you technically want your quarterback looking over their shoulder? Well, not really. But if you play in the National Football League, you better act like someone's looking over your shoulder because that's typically how you get the best, hopefully, out of yourself and you continue to improve. You know, sometimes if you don't think there's no one that's going to come in, there's just a, a little bit different. So sometimes playing on edge a little bit is good, you know, but it always comes down to the individual itself. You know, again, when I played with a guy like Dan Moreno, you could have brought in Vince Lombardi and Roger Staubach and whoever else. He would have been like, man, bring those dudes over here. They, it's a waste of time. So he just had a way he carried himself and, you know, he just had a different confidence level. So I think with uh, Jarrett, he has to, you know, he just seems like a good kid. But when you're playing in the NFL, you got to have a little bit of a switch that you got to have. I don't want to say a chip on your shoulder, but you got to have a little firing, you know, and I think ultimately that was maybe the knock on the the gentleman before uh, the quarterback that was with the Ravens early on that he was just kind of quiet, docile, never up, Flacco? never Flacco. Yeah. Never up, never down. And it's like, okay, that's, You'd like that demeanor that a guy doesn't get rattled, but you also need a guy who who just threw three picks to be rattled and not throw four. So that's what, you know, I don't know. It's, you know, looking over the shoulder in that point would be negative, except maybe helping him to, you know, have that drive to make sure he can be at the highest level. As far as cap, you know, we talked about this a little before a while back in regards to what is this season going to be like, even if it gets played? My position is it's going to be pretty much a wash for anybody. Yeah, somebody will be a Super Bowl winner and may have an asterisk on the their name just because of the way the season would have to be played. But anybody who plays this year, in my humble opinion, everybody's just going to kind of get a wash, no matter how many wins or losses, because this unprecedented non-preparation and just things to even play a season will have to be put in place. So that being the case, a guy like Kaepernick who has some skill sets, you know, and if coach McVay is going to employ the tight end a little bit more and those types of things, you need to get guy with a little more escapability 
you know, Cap could fit that. You know, Jarrett's not a guy who's going to extend the play, really. I mean, he's shown that he can, but I think that's where Cap would have a little bit of a heads yeah. up where, you know, he can kind of get out and, and improvise a little bit more and things like that. But, again, you look at the guy like a McVeigh, you know, those are the kind of guys who could take a guy like him and, and capitalize on his strengths. Well, that is the one thing. He will have more capability, especially given what Jared has. Jared, you know, I would argue looks, shall I say, awkward <laughs> when he runs. I mean, he's, he's got a little bit. He's, he's flashed a little bit something here and there, and it's not wanting anything from him. But Cap's definitely more elusive. I would say, though, that in the grand scheme of things for me, it's still about golf. And I disagree with you on... Everybody gets a wash in 2020. I don't think that's the case. Why is that? Because of look where Goff was last year. Look at all the questions he faced. Look at all the, the, you know, the fan base in a lot of ways turned on him throughout much of the year last year. So I don't think he gets that break. I think, the, I think fans are looking at how he hits the cap. I think of how... You know, when they're thinking about the fact that this roster, even with the losses, is still pretty talented. And if his performance does not lift that team up, even in a year like this year, I got to think that's going to be a problem, not just within the roster itself, but also within the fan base, his support. So I think it does matter with him. On the flip side, maybe maybe, maybe bringing a guy like Kaepernick is what pushes him, though. I, I I don't think it's a good idea, but I'm willing to at least listen to the other side of it and say, okay, you know, it, I think it depends on, on Kaepernick's attitude coming in. I think it depends on Goff's attitude. I think it depends on how the coaching staff addresses it. But I think a guy who's faced questions like Goff will not escape criticism this year. If he goes out there this year and is the mediocre self that he was for much of last year, I think you're going to have a lot of, a lot more fans turning on him. I think you're going to see some support erode for him within the organization. Especially since I think, I think you and I both agreed on this. I think the, a large portion of the belief with him was, is he wasn't ready for it last year. Like he wasn't entirely prepared. The, the offensive line was struggling. It, it, that's a big part of it as well. But I mean, tell me if you think I'm wrong, but what I gathered watching film on him was that he just wasn't, Prepared like he should have been. The the Bengals game in the second half was a great example of that. Some of the things he did in that second half was just unconscionable. I just wanted to use a big word there. Unconscionable. How do you spell that? I need a dictionary for that. <laughs> uh, I don't want to bore people by trying to spell that now. But, I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess I'm not 100% opposed to what you're saying. I just I don't think he escapes criticism this year. I think, in the end, I'm thinking more about what this – can potentially do the franchise long-term? Because no, I don't think no matter what call, Kaepernick wouldn't be there long-term. Let me ask you this. This is a question uh, from an article recently by Cameron De Silva, mm-hmm. and it's on the Rams wire. But, you know, to talk to the, you know, about McVay and, and about, you know, the new uh, offensive coordinator, you know, Kevin O'Connell and that things. But, they have a quote in here from Jared Goff, and I, I want your, your, your take on it. 
Jarrett said recently that he feels further along this year than he did last offseason and that he's able to have even more of an opinion than he's ever had. What's your thoughts on that? Um, call me the pessimist, but I will believe it when I see it on the field. We heard a lot of quotes similar to that last year. You know, coming out of camp and, and the system and, and how the players are working together and so on and so forth and how they're going to be just fine. Hey, don't worry about those guys not starting an offensive line for the entire preseason. I am more on the lines of a wait-and-see approach. I don't necessarily... I'm not trying to dismiss it, but I think it's pretty common for players who, at this funk, at this part of the game, whether in the offseason and they're, and they're getting to know these coaches a little bit, where they're feeling good, and then you get in the field and you realize you weren't ready. Or you, things weren't what they were, or you thought they were. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, you know, my thoughts are, when I read that, I go, wait a minute. This is a guy entering his fifth year, a guy who's now been in this system for four, and he's now saying, I feel farther along. Okay, what happened the last two, three years? What what does that mean? That's something you would say like your rookie year. I don't know how you say that your fourth year, fifth year, when you've had pretty much yeah. the same staff. That's kind of what jumped out at me. Well, I mean, like, it's his third year. He just finished his third year. He's entering his fourth year at that staff in that system. First right. year was, you know, I'll, I'll give him a pass for the first year. And I think that's kind of been my evolving feeling on as well. I've been very, I think I've been, been very hesitant to come down hard on him for his flaws until last year. when. There are just certain things you need to do, and you weren't doing them, even with a, a botched offensive line. Again, and again, I, people are going to keep saying, well, he faced, you know, the, off- the offensive line did this and this. Look at the ranking. And I will say it again. Don't believe the stats. Go watch the film. Look at the pass protection. You know, great examples of the Pittsburgh game. Great examples. The, run, the running game wasn't there. So when things got challenging for Jared Goff last year, oftentimes he wasn't able to rise to the challenge. He had to have game plans put in for him, like the Cardinals game, that were specific to that game in order for him to succeed. And to his credit, he succeeded. It was a great, great performance by him. But the great quarterbacks in this league develop, they take their development on their own shoulders, and they don't need to be quote-unquote comfortable or say I'm further along this year than I was last year when you're entering your freaking fifth year. Like, that's you're right. That's, that's mind-blowing to me. Yeah, so, you know, my question ultimately becomes, okay, why would a guy entering his fifth year think that, oh, you know, I'm coming along. That's like, okay, man, 5% improvement each year is good. Like, no, this is the NFL. I don't know too many quarterbacks that get a four or five year window to somewhat prove themselves. So on one hand, I get what he's saying. On the other hand, it's kind of it's a little eyebrow raisy when, okay, wait a minute. It's not like you've had a bunch of coaching changes, so on and so forth, which, again, makes me skeptical of like, okay, something wasn't working. 
why would they bring in the offensive coordinator who's really not the offensive coordinator? Except that a lot of times you hear this thing of you need a guy who can relate. So is it that McVay and him couldn't relate? And now he's going to have an intermediary. So it doesn't look like he's jumping down his throat or, you know, he's taking a personal, you know, or does McVay feel like, no, I'm the head coach. I need to start delegating some of those duties to someone else so I can be a true head coach. I'm not sure. But with all the things that, you know, Gurley being gone and, you know, then you bring in a new staff, you let certain staff go. I just, you know, I didn't see that statement. It's like, okay, something, you know, maybe I'm reading more into it. But I just don't know a guy who's basically been starting a number of years say, yeah, man, I feel further along this year. You would say that if you had a new coordinator and they got a new scheme in and, you know, last year was the first year of the new scheme. So this year, yeah, you you could say that, but that hasn't been the case. So I don't know. That just kind of jumped out at me. Only thing, though, is, we don't know what the dynamic will be between him and Goff. Like, who will Goff be communicating with in the huddle? Will it be McVeigh, or will it be from the booth, O'Connell? And if it's from the booth to the field, I can see with what I can see what he's saying because now they're forming that report for play calling and so on and so forth. If he's not, if that communication is between the booth and McVeigh. And the person that Goff is still only dealing with in game is going to be McVeigh. Then I think there's I think there's more question marks in terms of that response from him. I just I just look at it overall and say at five years now he's entering his fifth year. You shouldn't just be coming into your own if you are that elite quarterback. I. I think back to last year, and you and I had some podcasts with us, and we we defended Goff quite a bit, and we put him we when we did rankings. I know you know if you think back to we didn't put him as low as like Chris Sims did. I think it's fair to question a low ranking now, don't you think? I mean, I, I think so. I I think it's quite, I think it's fair to to rethink it because at this point in his career. Mike, he, he should be he should be the quarterback that we think he should have been two years ago. How long did it take Peyton Manning to, to become Peyton Manning at the pro level? How long did it take Dan Marino to become Dan Marino at the pro level? Right. That's what it, I mean. So when I look at it, uh, I don't know. It just seemed like something is just doesn't Something is just not making sense uh, because it just it just seemed like there's some type of disconnect. And it almost to me signals that as much as they're trying to show all this confidence. Not really, because it's like you're trying to bring in all these things to patch things up or mm-hmm. hopefully make things better. But, you know, some guys come in with promise and they just don't, you know, it just doesn't pan out that way. And so, uh, but the reason why I say I think this year is going to be, everyone's going to get the pass is just because the way things are, people will be able to say, well, you know, we just didn't have the on-field time that we normally have. 
We just didn't have the on-field time to get the timing down. We just didn't have this. We just didn't have that, you know, because of the situation. You know, it's really tough playing in, in stadiums without any people in them or whatever it may be. So I, I just don't know that anyone's going to, you know, hold this season up high regard as, as using it as evaluating players and talent just because of the way things will be. I don't know. I think – Jeez, I think that we, I think, man, I think golf will be the exception to that. For the very same thing we talked about, like you are entering your fifth year in the league, you should be there now. You should be leadership. And if he doesn't, if he comes out this year doesn't show that, they're gonna, you know, because you are, he already has that track record leading into this year of not being everything we thought he should be. I think that finally comes down on him. I really do. In any other situation, pretty much, with this Rams team, I 100% agree with you. I think he's the one exception because of all the questions surrounding his, he's a number one pick. He's supposed to be your franchise guy. He's taking you to playoffs. Yet he, he definitely is the best quarterback you've had since Mark Bolger in his best year. Okay? There's no doubt in my mind that he's that. But he's still. Not what we think he should be. Is, is that fair? You, he's, not, he's not what he should be. Yeah, I mean that's, that's fair. But I'm 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 wondering, you know, what side management is that? What side are they gonna fall on? Are they falling on? Well, hey, we drafted this guy. We're gonna make it work some way somehow. Or are they gonna say, you know what? We just gonna have to bite the bullet and take this heat and cut ties. Which then means who's gonna then be the quarterback? So maybe that's where this Kaepernick talk comes from. You got a guy who has, you know, played at a high level. If he were to come in this year and just kind of get back into that game timing thing, and then if they wanted to deal, you know, golf in the offseason, they got a guy at least starting the season that should be able to to do some things. You know, I don't know, just speculating. Hey, but Caps played – Zero professional football in five years. He's not faced NFL speed in five years. And he did already have flaws in his game. I just don't see the Rams taking that swing in this situation. I just don't. And, he, and he's going to want a good chunk of change, too. We, we haven't talked about how much money he's going to want, but every contract think so? offer. I think he will. When he talked to the, to the XFL, when he talked to the AAF, whatever they are, with the AF, whatever they were, the AF. He he wanted he wanted a reportedly good money. I don't think he signs on the on the cheap. Well, I think those situation is like guys. You guys know this league, his bunk and all that stuff. Oh, but if you really want me to play, play, pay me this money, and yeah, I'll come and play. But I think in NFL, with everything that's gone on. I think he would enjoy a situation where he could just use the first year backing up, getting back into the speed of things, uh, not being the guy out front, you know, somewhat being able to hopefully deal with all the, the media storm that could be part of it. And then, you know, off season and then be ready for next year if, if that's the case. Uh, but then you never know. I mean, the one thing that, 
you know, that allowed Brett Favre to set out, what, one or two years to come back and play uh, at his advanced age and absolutely do pretty well. Um, you know, sometimes when a guy has it, he has it. So it, it would be interesting to see. But I guess my biggest concern is I don't like my guy coming back, entering his fifth year, talking about, hey, man, yeah, I got a little bit better this offseason. I'm kind of learning a little bit. Huh? That's yeah, just you should have. Yeah, I get that. I agree. I mean, that's to me, I'm a little uneasy hearing him say that. It's like, where have you been the last two years, man? Come on. And the, the, the thing, the frustrating part about golf for me is, is I have defended him in the past, and he and he's shown us what kind of quarterback he can be. You know, I've always used the Minnesota game as an example, but don't forget the NFC Championship game against the Saints. That you, you're talking about, they didn't have headsets working. That place was crazy loud. They're down thirteen nothing early, and Goff led that team back. He led that team back. That showed in my view what he's capable of but to do it week in week out to do it when the offensive line is not what you hope it would be he's got to show us that because i know that many people across the league are are gung-ho that this offensive line is going to take a big step next year i'm not sold because when are they going to get their time together these guys are all working remotely right now. Some have been hurt. Some are coming off surgery. Do, do I believe in Aaron Cromer and his coaching for the offensive line? Sure. Do I believe that these guys have talent? Sure. Do I believe that the Rams have been very good at finding talent in the draft? Get these guys. Yes, I do. But the Rams also blew it last year when it came to repairing the offensive line. You and I both know that. So the, you just can't count on this offensive line being what some people like Gil Brandt have said they think it'll be. Can Goff reverse course from last year and make plays that he did not make in similar situations in 2019? That's the good question. question. So throw one other question out. If you had a chance to sign Colin Kaepernick or Cam Newton, who who are you signing? Cam Newton. Okay. I mean, there's similar skill sets, but Cam Newton, I mean, he's played in the last five years, you know? He's got his flaws, but I think one he'll be I, I, I think he'll he'll bring a little less baggage to the table. No matter how we frame it, there's gonna be baggage with Kaepernick. It, it might not be the baggage we we might disagree on how that baggage should be handled. I'm not sure how everybody views Colin Kaepernick overall. But with Newton, we know his problems were mostly injuries. Can they get him back on the field healthy and make the best out of his skill set? So that's why I would say Newton. I think that five-year absence is huge, man. When you've been out, out of the game as a quarterback, and you haven't faced a NFL pass rush in five years, and that pass rush to me is meaner now than it's ever been, especially in this division. Yeah, I would be concerned. I, I, I would go. I would rather throw my lob with Newton there. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, it just, you know, it's just some questions to ponder, right? What about you? Well, who would you take? Uh, I'm probably taking Cam Newton for basically the same reason. He's been on the field just a lot sooner. And, you know, overall, he's just a bigger quarterback. So just those two things, when you look back there and see him, you see like a, a, a huge dude back there. So, uh, and like you said, just because he's just been on the field sooner and wasn't basically on the field last year just because of, you know, foot injury and surgery. And, you know, I don't know what the deal was waiting until when he did it, but I guess there's a rhyme, be- rhyme be- and reason behind everything. So, yeah, I just was, uh, you know, as they say, playing double advocate and seeing uh, what you had in your thought process there, Big DC. Yeah, I mean, I do. I wish that the the Rams were more comfortable with Goff. I wish we could be more comfortable with Goff. I mean, I've defended Goff a lot, and so it's kind of frustrating to even think and talk like that, but there it is. Okay, hey, we got to get... Bo Brack on here for Locked On Cards. We've had this interview stashed for a little while, so it might sound a little bit outdated because with me moving around podcast times and so on and so forth, it's a little bit late. But here we are. Here's Bo Brack from Locked On Cards talking about the Arizona Cardinals. He sounds pretty pretty happy with it. Where's it going? Here we are. All right, folks, we're here with Bo Brack from the Locked On Cards podcast. Used to be out there at 9-10 in AZ, and now he's roughing a little bit, being moving on in life and new journeys, but still covering the Cardinals. Bo, how you doing? I'm doing great. Excited about this team. Excited about what General Manager Steve Kine's done this offseason, trying to temper those expectations. But, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of riding the wave right now, Derek. The Cardinals do seem to have a lot of steam behind them, at least to me, nationally, when you hear the Cardinals, you, you, you're hearing they're coming. They're coming. They're on the way. They're, yeah. They are being a problem. You're saying tempering expectations, at least from time. Why is that? I'm saying that more in the sense that there are these teams that win the offseason on paper, and then once it comes to playing regular season games, whenever that may be, uh, that it doesn't necessarily mesh. And the Arizona Cardinals, I mean, Let's be realistic about things. They've won eight games in the last two seasons. So to expect this complete turnaround because of some of the acquisitions they've made, sure, it's optimistic. But at the same time, there's a lot of work left to be done. I thought that Patrick Peterson, he posted on social media recently that championships aren't won on paper. And that's exactly right. I mean, if you had taken the offseason champion from last offseason in 2019, I mean, we would have been talking about the Cleveland Browns in a postseason run. That did not happen. We talk about Vince Young and that uh, when he self-proclaimed the Philadelphia Eagles, the dream team, they were not, they didn't have a successful season that year either. So there's a lot that goes into it beyond just making the moves. But as far as what Kime has been able to do this offseason and put the players in place, you have to be excited about it and, and just the prospect of what could be. So I'm just trying to temper those, just be knowing, you know, the reality of the toughness of how, how hard it is to win in the NFL let alone the NFC West, where you've got the uh, Super Bowl uh, appearing San Francisco 49ers. Of course, the Los Angeles Rams are looking to rebound. Of course, the Seattle Seahawks. So there's a lot that goes into it. That's why I'm tempering my expectations. But, I mean, every year there's a, there's a team that goes from sub-500 or almost the worst of first situation, including the Niners last year, which is four wins the previous season to uh, Super Bowl appearance. So, I mean, that's, that's why people are kind of jumping on the bandwagon early and people want to be, 
you know, the ones that we're staying at now when the Cardinals potentially get on good, uh, maybe off on the right foot in the 2020 season. Well, let's, let's start with the draft, though. The draft itself, right away, you get a star in Isaiah Simmons, and it seems that the Cardinals really moved through this draft well. What were the highs and lows of the draft for you? It's, it's tough to even uh, look for a low here. And uh, as far as the highs, I mean, absolutely, it starts with Isaiah Simmons kind of following into, falling into their lap at eighth overall, something I didn't think any of the Cardinals fans was, were anticipating. And it happens because, I mean, it starts there with the New York Giants at fourth overall. They take Andrew Thomas uh, that they viewed as the top tackle in the group, and then they kind of just, Spitballs from there, you've got three quarterbacks that have taken off the board, and then the Carolina Panthers were the last team between the Cardinals and getting a dynamic player like Simmons, and they go with the interior defensive lineman, Derek Brown, and to get a player of the caliber of Simmons and what he could potentially do for this defense and kind of being a Swiss Army knife uh, and just add that playmaker uh, on the opposite side of the football that you're getting in Kyler Murray on the offensive side of the football. Uh, it, it's just it, it was just a slam dunk move for the Cardinals. I know that they're looking for offensive line help, but you can't pass up the talent of Simmons. And then they trade their second round pick earlier in the offseason for DeAndre Hopkins. So they're sitting there until the third round. And in the Cardinals' eyes, and how they scouted Josh Jones, the Houston tackle, uh, they had him in the first round. They gave him a first round grade, and they're able to get him 72nd overall. A lot of people excited about that that they're able to fill a need on the offensive line with a third round selection. So Josh Jones, I don't know if he's going to start out of the gates, but he's going to uh, contend potentially to start at right tackle. Um, the Cardinals have some veteran options there to maybe develop Jones, who's known for some technique flaws, but his stellar play for the Cougars. Uh, you got to be excited about those first two picks there. And then Steve Kime, the GM, just continued to check off boxes. You look at the opposite side of the football in the trenches on the defensive line. They need some interior defensive line help despite the signing of Jordan Phillips from Buffalo this offseason. Uh, and, and they got a couple players, you know, one from Utah and uh, Fatu, and then you've got another player in, in Lawrence from LSU who won a championship, both in the fourth round, both in back-to-back picks. Um, I think can vie or at least be rotational guys on that defensive line and, and help out maybe open up some rush lanes for guys like Chandler Jones who are already playing stellar football. And then you wrap up the draft and you look at a couple interesting prospects, Evan Weaver. He, you know, he led the. He, he was a tackling machine at California. 192 total tackles, just a machine. Will his football IQ, will that motor, will it translate to the next level without maybe the athleticism you would like at inside linebacker? But it should be a fun storyline to follow. And then uh, the, the Cardinals went with a kind of a local product with their final pick in the seventh round, and it was a need for sure to kind of supplement their run game. Kenyon Drake coming back on the transition tag. But then you bring in a kid like Eno Benjamin that uh, a lot of the folks around here went to Arizona State and saw him play for the Sun Devils. Not exactly a guy who's got great size or great athleticism, but it should be like Weaver, maybe a fun storyline to follow an underdog late-round draft pick that you recognize and just see if he can make this roster. So all that together now, you put this draft class with the roster that was already intact, with your acquisitions in trade like DeAndre Hopkins, what does this roster look like to you next year? Is it a work in progress? Is it a potential playoff team? How should fans look at this this upcoming year? 
Yeah, I mean, what they the, the way that they built this roster, rebuilt this roster this offseason was kind of it was it it looked like a team that didn't just win five games last year. It looked like a team that was closer than the Cardinals were in 2019. But Steve Kime was aggressive. I mean, he was just consumed with rebuilding the defense. It looked like they may have done that. As I mentioned, Phillips signs a three-year deal. They bring in Devon Kennard from the uh, Detroit Lions. He comes over to try to help that pass rush that's outside of Chandler Jones has been lacking as far as guys getting to the quarterback. And then you've got Devondre Campbell joining the linebacking core, uh, a tackling machine in his own right, 129 tackles for the Falcons in 2019. He joins Jordan Hicks, who is probably their lone successful signing in 2019. Uh, he comes over. You've got Buda Baker already on that defense. Patrick Peterson, who had the uh, suspension for six games last season, he kind of knocked the rust off and showed that he's the same player that he was before the suspension. So there's a lot to be excited about this defense, uh, it was especially with the addition of, of Isaiah Simmons. And then you just think about the prospect of this offense with Kyler Murray. I know he was a little inconsistent in his rookie year, but he's still your NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year, the top pick, uh, and, and what he could do in Cliff Kingsbury's air raid offense with a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald's coming back. Guys like Christian Kirk can kind of slide down the depth chart and maybe have a, a better role for a player of his caliber at this at this point. And then they found their running back, surprisingly, midseason last year in Kenyon Drake, who comes over from Miami, and he's able to do everything that Kingsbury needs out of the running back. So with all that being said, I mean, it, it's not a – it's not – one of those rosters where you look at it and like, okay, this is a surefire playoff team. But if they're not in contention this year, something went seriously wrong. If they're not winning games, if they're continually getting, you know, on, on the opposite end of some bad losses like they've been the last few years, I think some fans are going to start to kind of scratch in their head and maybe speaking up about the organization. The one guy to really look out for here is if that defense struggles out of the gates, the defensive coordinator, Vance Joseph. If they have a slow start to the season, he's going to be a guy that people are going to be clamoring for uh, because of all that's been done this offseason um, to, to really right that ship. I mean, they, they finished at the bottom of the league defensively last year. They gave up the most yards in the NFL. They gave up some of the most points. At 43% of the time, Tyler Murray's coming out on the field and opposite team score, the opposing team scored. So he's chasing a lead. Uh, virtually every game last season. So, the, I mean, as silly as it might sound, talking about a five-win team, but I think that they really need to contend for a playoff spot. Are they going to be a true contender for the Lombardi Trophy? I think that's a little quick. But uh, they certainly have a, they've infused this roster with talent. They've filled some needs. They checked off a bunch of those boxes. And it, it's just exciting. It's, it's really exciting. And as far as, you know, when you look at the teams that finished sub-500 last year, I think the Arizona Cardinals have won had one or more stellar off-seasons of any of those teams that could make that potential jump. Give us your evaluation of Cliff Kingsbury's first year. I remember when we talked last year, I myself was very, very skeptical of him coming out of high of college with a, to me, a lackluster record. And 6-10, and 10, yeah, but that was a very, very competitive 6-10 and 10 team. How do you evaluate him? Yeah, and you're exactly right. I think everybody had their reservations about Cliff Kingsbury as being a, a failure at the college level. I mean, he was fired from his alma mater. I mean, he couldn't do anything wrong his first couple of seasons in Lubbock. Texas Tech loves him. Uh, he's got that program in the right direction. He's developing quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield had a cup of coffee there. He had Patrick Mahomes and 
they're fun to watch, but then they couldn't stop a nosebleed, and then the, the losses started to pile up to where Kingsbury's fired last November or two Novembers ago when he's 35 and 40 in the Big 12, and he just he couldn't even be 500 in the Big 12, and that's it was head-scratching that he was able to make the jump from fired from his alma mater to NFL head coach. And uh, the, the biggest, biggest reason for that was, one, Sean McVay and his connection to Cliff Kingsbury and what McVay was able to accomplish with the Los Angeles Rams and turn that organization around with his innovative offensive uh, schemes. But also, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, he just, that, that was the direction and, and that's the where the, the team really lacked in 2018 under Steve Wilkes was they were just putrid offensively. And that was just a collection of lack of talent on the field and just way behind the times as far as offensive, uh, you know, play calling. I mean, they were in the Jurassic here with Mike McCoy, and then they brought in, you know, Byron Leftwich after McCoy was fired midseason. And uh, they needed to quickly get back or get into uh, the modern-day NFL offense. And here's a team that only averaged about 14 points per game in 2018. And last season, they're closer to 23 in Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury's first season. Now, was that without taking their lumps? No, it certainly wasn't. These are guys that uh, you saw the inconsistencies from a first-time play caller at the NFL level and a rookie quarterback. So, I mean, as far as Kingsbury is concerned, of course, there was a couple uh, miscues as far as when to challenge and not to challenge or some ill-called timeouts that uh, cost the team, uh, one in particular against the 49ers on Thursday Night Football. But I mean, maybe going forward on fourth down, maybe when he shouldn't have. But those are the things that you would expect from any rookie head coach. Uh, it seemed like he had the locker room. Uh, Steve Kime, general manager on board, and Kime seemed to uh, oblige him with some big-time moves on the opposite side of the football since uh, Cliff Kingsbury's come over here. I mean, they went with his guy, Kyler Murray, and that, that worked out. That was, gonna, that was kind of a puzzling move for any organization in back-to-back off-seasons to draft a quarterback in the first round, but they did it, and it was the right move because what we've seen what we've seen from Josh Rosen at the NFL level and what we've seen from Kyler Murray, uh, one's an NFL-caliber quarterback. The other is, uh, is just holding on to a roster spot in Miami. So I, as far as I'm concerned, Cliff Kingsbury, I, he doesn't see it over his head. He, it, it's a little bit easier to, I guess, recruit I get, and we'll throw the quotation, the radio air quotes over that in the NFL to Tempe, Arizona, or Glendale, Arizona, where the Cardinals play their home games, uh, especially with the ability to pay free agents than it is to recruit Lubbock, Texas, uh, in the Big 12. And, and also the fact that Cliff Kingsbury doesn't have to worry about the defense side of the football, that's in Vance Joseph's hands. So, uh, you know, as long as they kind of keep it, you know, compartmentalized like that where, where Kingsbury is handling the offense and somebody else is handling the defense and the special teams, uh, you know, I think he's in a good spot. I think, I think the players respect him. Now, what about Kyler Murray? After his first year, where does he stand? What did you like about his development? What do you struggle with? Yeah, it's, it's, it was, he had an interesting year, and it was kind of, if, if you want to watch one game that really encapsulates his rookie year, it's the first one. It was the 27-27 tie against the Detroit Lions where he came out of the gates and was completely flat, and so was this offense. And then once it clicked, that offense was just rolling. And uh, if the Cardinals went, Kyler Murray went, or I should say opposite. As Kyler Murray went, the Arizona Cardinals went. And, uh, you know, he had some up-and-down games 
but he started to put it together. He took care of the football. He set a rookie record for most pass attempts in a row without an interception uh, at one point. Um, he had some dumb rookie mistakes, but that's expected. But still, he's your NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. He answered the call that, and, and answered a lot of the critics that thought, hey, here's this you know, maybe 5'10", uh, 5'10 quarterback who shouldn't be playing this position at this level. And he answered everybody you know, with, his, with his play. And the Arizona Cardinals, they were 5'10 and 1 with the tie at the beginning of the season. And they had some, some losses that one was on the shoulders of Kyler Murray. That was Tampa Bay with a late pick. And maybe one was on, on the defense against San Francisco where they gave up a late score with under a minute to play that was just brutal. Uh, and then you're, ta- I mean, you're talking about a close to 500 team. If, if you look at maybe two to three of these games, that could have gone the other way. And that's all because of Kyler Murray. We talked about how bad the offense was. And Kyler Murray was the reason for this team to be able to come out of the doldrums and, and get back into it where they're competing. They're not getting blown out, you know, 45 to 10. And sure, they're getting into some shootouts. There was some, uh, I, I guess, the defense declined in, from 18 to 19, which was unfortunate. It was fun to watch. It was a better product to watch. You knew that you were watching the, the future of the franchise go out there, starting each and every game for the Cardinals. He competed as much as he possibly could, even if the Cardinals seemed down and out. Kyler Murray was the leader that you wanted. He was the player that you, or you can foresee the player that you would want with the number one overall pick. And, uh, I mean, if he can kind of work through those inconsistencies, I think the Arizona Cardinals are in, in a great spot, and they they did the unthinkable in taking that quarterback in back-to-back first rounds and back-to-back seasons, and they were absolutely right by doing it because it's an exciting brand of football to watch. And uh, the, the Cardinals are certainly setting him up to follow in line. Even I mean, we talk about the Rams. Jared Goff had, you know, less than stellar first season rebounded in his sophomore year kyler murray like goff like trubisky like carson wentz like deshaun watson all those guys all those quarterbacks that had successful second years everybody's got those expectations maybe too high too lofty for a guy like kyler but he could do it he's answered the bell every time now you mentioned vance joseph entering last season he had a great reputation as a defensive coach not as the head coach of Denver, but as defensive coach, what went wrong with him? And are there any signs that this year's going to be different? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question because I mean, yeah, you do mention he he did kind of, he did fail in Denver as a head coach. It was just a disaster, and it didn't really work from the very get go for a guy like Vance Joseph. You can look at whether or not they had a quarterback the entire time he was there, but there were still more problems organizationally than just the quarterback position. And Vance Joseph, I think can't really run away from him not be, from him being the, a problem part of the problem I should say as far as his time as a DC it's, it wasn't he doesn't have a long tenure as a defensive coordinator he was he was semi successful in Miami his real success came as a secondary coach in Cincinnati and if you look at the Arizona Cardinals last year that was one of their worst spots i mean their secondary was just gashed uh the entire season and you know it it didn't help that Patrick Peterson served the suspension for six games. It didn't help that Robert Alford, who was supposed to be the solution playing opposite Patrick Peterson in the second cornerback spot, uh, got injured before the season even began. And then they're running with a really young unit in their defensive secondary with a guy like Jalen Thompson, Deontay Thompson. Buda Baker had a Pro Bowl caliber year, but that was because he was racking up tackles because this defense was giving up 
big chunks of yards, and he was kind of the last line of defense. He, he got a, to a Pro Bowl from it, but this secondary only had seven interceptions last year, and they didn't have much more the previous season. they got to be more opportunistic. Uh, I think that they're just going to benefit from having a, a, a big guy in the middle to anchor that defensive line, and Jordan Phillips from Buffalo he had nine and a half sacks. You've got guys like Chandler Jones who had 19 sacks last year. Jordan Hicks coming back. He was a monster for the Cardinals. Plus, uh, Kennard hopefully adding a couple more sacks than you got from a guy like Terrell Suggs, which kind of that, that didn't work out for him last year. So it, it was a real thin defense last year. There wasn't a lot of talent on it. There was a, it was a big developmental year for this defense. Uh, I think that they found some guys that they can move forward with, and then the rest of this offseason has been – getting talent and infusing talent on that defense. A guy like Isaiah Simmons, uh, even a bad defensive coordinator, if, if that is indeed what Vance Joseph is, and I think the jury's still out on that, uh, they're, they're going to have a success with this versatile type player coming out of Clemson 8th overall. That, that's got to get Cardinals fans excited. But as I said, if, if there aren't results overall outside of Simmons, uh, BJ, Vance Joseph, is probably going to be the fall guy for that. But what's your feel overall? Do you feel like he that's it is the players, or do you feel like it's it's Joseph's scheme? Yeah, I, I I don't know. I as far as I'm concerned, I don't. I'm not a big believer in Vance Joseph, but then again, I don't think that he's going to be a guy that even if he's given the correct parts, if he's given the correct players, that I, he could scheme it up enough to where the Cardinals can could be good enough on defense to compete. And uh, you know, yeah, I'm not. It, it comes down to the players on the field. If Patrick Peterson can come back and be kind of the same player that he was the first eight seasons of his career, that's going to be huge. That's going to take over, you know, covering the top wide receiver from opposing offenses. If Isaiah Simmons can fin- can help out covering tight ends, which were just a nightmare for the Cardinals last season, they gave up over a thousand yards, ninety six receptions, and sixteen touchdowns to the position last year. If Isaiah Simmons can slow that down and also do some of the things that he was successful doing in Clemson. And then they can add a couple more sacks outside of Chandler Jones's uh, getting to the quarterback. I think they'll be fine as far as Vance Joseph's concerned. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be the guy holding them back necessarily, but I do think that he could be an easy guy, uh, an easy target if things don't go right right out of the gate. And I think that's important here because of the uniqueness of the situation we're all in right now, their inability to kind of work with players and, and get in a lot of new names. And, and really kind of get the, the reps in necessary for a unit, cohesive defense unit to match. All right, so last question here. Right now, as things stand, where do the Cardinals sit in the NFC West and how many wins, right now anyways, you think they'll land this season? Yeah, that's, that's a tough question. And especially, I, I'm curious your thoughts on what the Rams have done this offseason because when you look at the rest of the division, I mean, obviously the Cardinals have made a lot of moves. They've flooded in a lot of talent on this roster. You look at what's gone on in San Francisco. I mean, they've, they basically traded out two of their key players on that run and a wide receiver and Emmanuel Sanders. He takes a lucrative deal with, with New Orleans. They take a first-round pick and uh, Brandon Ayuk, who played at ASU, and then they take uh, Von Klinlaw out of South Carolina in the first round. But beyond that, they didn't have another pick till the fifth round. Uh, you know they're going to try. They're going to rely on the roster they had last year. You know the San Francisco 49ers, Are they going to win 13 games? The Cardinals played them tight last year. Both of those games came down to the wire. 
can the Cardinals steal a game against the Niners? Can the Cardinals win enough within the division to turn things around? Uh, that's a huge question. They went 1-5 and five in the division with one win over the Seattle Seahawks last year in December, which was kind of shocking to a lot of people. What, did they, what have the Seahawks done? What have the Rams done? There's been a lot of talent gone out from those three teams, and the Cardinals have brought in a lot of talent. Can they narrow that margin? Man, I, 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 gotta say, I think that the Cardinals have a little bit, especially if Tyler Murray takes that leap that everybody expects him to take, uh, that they could be a 9-10 win team and you're looking at an extra playoff spot, but they could certainly be a wild-card team. All right. Well, I can give you my thoughts on the Rams. I thought they did just fine in the draft. Yeah. I think that the players they let go, Dante Fowler Jr. will hurt a little bit. Corey Littleton will hurt some. Todd Gurley was not working out the way they needed him to work out. Brandon Cooks was hurt a lot last year. wasn't getting deep. That was his main purpose. So the losses hurt defensively. I'm more worried about the coaching losses, how the new coaching staff will, will come in there and make changes to reload and develop these guys. That I thought the draft was great. I know people didn't agree with that, but I thought they had a great draft. So uh, we'll see, I, I guess. Too. I but, thought as far as the division was, went, they, they had a great draft. I thought it rivaled their, what the Cardinals were able to do as far as just great needs. And uh, I, I'm excited to see what they're going to do with Cam Akers. I love the Kevin O'Connell hire. I think that he's going to be a stud. That's exactly what they needed to help out with the offensive play calling. I don't know. It, uh, do you like that move and, and maybe takes alleviate some of the issues that McVay endured last season? I think he. I think McVay needed some help. I don't know O'Connell very well, though. I've been hearing comments similar to yours, though, that it's a great pickup. That's a, that he's going to help him, and so. Hearing that from other side, other other teams, journalists, and that gives me a little bit of a more positive feel for it. I'm actually more concerned on defense, bringing in you know a new defensive staffer at defensive coordinator, a new special teams coordinator, a new kicker. Go with that. This is a team that's been very good in special teams the last few years, the exception of last year, and losing bones hurt a lot, but. You know, sometimes, sometimes coaches have to move on. Sometimes you get stale in one place. And I got the sense as the year went on that maybe Bowles is getting stale in Los Angeles. So we'll see. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, Fossil was a big sneaky loss on the special teams. As you mentioned, yeah, having the Wade exit, and I hear you. I mean, I think you kind of saw it last year in a couple of games. It was a big game where they gave up 50-plus points. Uh, it, it was maybe that his voice in the locker room was falling upon deaf ears. But uh, Corey Littleton actually him going to Las Vegas, that was a huge loss for the Rams. I, I agree yeah. with that. I mean, he, he was already, already underrated in his ability to cover tight ends. And uh, that's a big loss for that linebacking court. But, you know, it's, when you have the success that the Rams had and they had to, you know, pay some of their stars, and when you have that success, other teams want to pay your your players it gets harder and harder especially in a cap league to, to keep those guys and they're just kind of uh trying to deal with that right now after a lot of success well that's something Bo, that i've been thinking about because you know when the seahawks had a break of the legion of boom nobody criticized them for it sooner or later these teams that win will pay a financial price it's kind of it's kind of a garbage way to go about things. You go over there, you, you develop these players, you make them the stars, then you can't keep them. That's kind right. of 
the really sad thing about the cap, the way it's set up now. Yet, the Rams pay their stars, realize it's not working, and wipe it clean after they, they, they took their shot. They took their swing to the Super Bowl. They didn't get it all the way through, but they took their shot. I can't blame them for that. But yet, they're getting destroyed in the media for being, uh, for, for cutting girly, for trading cooks, for wiping out their cap. Well, what do they expect to do, you know? So, I find it very interesting here. You say those things, and looking back at the Rams, I can't blame them for taking their shots. Sometimes you only get one shot. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, the girly situation, the Arizona Cardinals had the same thing with David Johnson, where here's a guy, here's guys that came out of college and were immediate contributors, and you were stuck in this position like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, if you don't pay these guys, pay or pay them. And the, both organizations went with writing a big paycheck for both of these guys, and it went to show why the Steelers did what they did with Le'Veon Bell, why in this day and age it's, it's tough to pay a running back because of the rigors of the NFL and the toll that there's, those guys take on a week-by-week basis. And, uh, you know, it would have been tough to let Gurley go. I absolutely see why they did it. I absolutely agree with why with what they did with Jared Goff. Uh, it, it's just tough. To, you got to keep these guys happy, especially at the quarterback position. We'll see what happens with Kyler Murray. He's only in year two of his rookie deal. But, you know, Goff gave them that opportunity to build around him and maybe reallocate some funds in some different areas of the football team. But at the end of the day, once that contract's nearing an end, you got to pay your quarterback and have seen them out. And then you still got to figure out how to build a roster around that kind of a cap hit. And, uh, you know, the Rams are learning to live like that. The Seahawks had to learn how to live like that. And, uh, you know, the Niners, they, they had the luxury of having some high draft pick and bringing over Jimmy and then signing him to a big deal. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how this uh, division falls uh, in 2020 whenever it happens. I think the next two years of the division are going to be fascinating to watch. I think you're going to have teams that all four teams have talent. Someone's going to fall apart in there somewhere. And honestly, it, the, the, the favorites, the Rams, not the Cardinals in my view, the Rams have too many question marks from the coaching staff on down to a roster that has a bunch of young guys who need to make the next step, and we'll find out. But the Cardinals, you know, you're getting blue chippers in there. You have your quarterback that people have faith in. Your coach um, is, for now, not getting all the doubters. Like, Sean McVay, a year ago, before the Super Bowl, wasn't getting doubters, and all of a sudden, now he's got all the doubters in the world. Yeah, I like the Cardinals' direction. I really do. I think they're, they're on the way up, and and it's going to be a fun, fun couple of years in the NFC West. So, Bo, can you tell people where they can find you? Where are they going to be able to get all of your good stuff and check out what the Cardinals are doing? Absolutely. I uh, listen to our podcast, Locked On AZ Cards. It's on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's at Locked On AZ Cards on Twitter. You can find myself at Bob Rack. Easiest way to search me on Twitter is just Bob Rack. My name is Bo Brock. That's the easiest way to find me on Twitter, at Bob Rack. All one word. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate anybody who checks out the podcast or gives me a follow or checks out my tweets. I appreciate that. Well, something, something tells me we'll be talking again come regular season. It's been great to have you on, and good luck this year. Likewise, Derek. Always looking forward to it. Thank you. So, Mike, how do you feel about those Arizona Cardinals right now where they stand? Well, you know, again, I think 
like everyone else, how do they stand? You know, this would have been really like a second coming year, coming out year last year. They had a lot of newness, new, new rookie coach, new rookie quarterback. You know, they had a few pieces here and there. You know, they showed some promises some different times. Uh, and I think with a normal offseason in summer, you might say, hey, these guys are probably ready to, to really make some noise. But again, that that offense style is based on quick timing and route uh, different, you know, route combinations. So you just don't have that again, unless they're somewhere getting working on their own. You, it's just no way to to duplicate that without actually doing it. So I don't know how they they really, you know, take that next step forward because you just won't have the time to do it. And even with, you know, when everybody or if they get back, you know, there's going to be certain restrictions and all those kinds of things that have to do with the social distancing aspect of things. Mm-hmm. You know, practices are going to be a lot different. So all those things taken into consideration, I don't see them maybe being as far along as they could have been with a normal offseason. Man, you are speaking my language. I was thinking about that today as, as I was pondering the Cardinals. They have updated this roster. It's a lot more talented, but like the Rams, you're putting new pieces in there. And the question is, will they mesh? Will they be able to mesh in a system that has not been there as long as the Rams have? The Rams have a third place schedule. They have some players who are going to be stepping in, but most of them have been there and or know the system. You're getting guys from the draft for the Cardinals, and you're getting guys who have not really been even remotely in this kind of system before. Now they got to step in there. They got to learn. They got they got to be ready for an opening day, which, quite frankly, is is up in the air. I don't. I, the Cardinals, I think, are a rising team. I, jeez, th- I think given the situation they're in right now, they're they're at a disadvantage. A team in the, like the Four Niners, the Seahawks, they've had their system forever a day. It's not going to be hard. For these players and that who have been there forever to come out next year and be right where they were. For teams that have had roster turnover, like the Rams and really like the Cardinals here, there's those are real question marks for me. And even more so for the Cardinals since they're they're so young. Man, that whole their skill sets in there. I like what they did, but man, this is a bad year to have a, a pandemic. If you if you're looking for teams to come have a quick turnaround. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, I guess we'll see. But, hey, folks, that's our show today. That is, that is the, the key. Let us know what you think. Do you think the Rams should go after Kaepernick or not? Um, and let's try and keep it on football. All of us have our different political views here. But I'm talking football here. I'm talking, is he a fit for the Rams? If so, how does it work? Does it work? Let, let us know on Twitter or on Facebook. Let us know. We'd really like to hear from you. Any closing thoughts, Mike? No, just, man, it was a pleasure getting back on this, man, and uh, just looking forward to some newer developments here in the next, uh, hopefully, week or so where we at least get a little more direction on uh, if our vaunted Rams will be out there getting it in or if it's going to be put off to later in the year. Uh, I I think they're I think they're playing. I also think this is going to be a short season. I think that the Rams, um, as they are right now, will probably 
have, you know, I think we had like I think I had like nine and seven, but that first three weeks of the year, Mike are tough. Those are three tough games. They could possibly I, I don't believe they will, but they could possibly zero and three after week three, and then things lighten up a lot. Well, that's not that's not good if you have the risk of a shortened season. So they could probably wind up with a with a record worse than what we originally thought because they lose. Um, they would lose the back end part of their schedule if the season is shortened. That's my view. November, December is what we're all worried about. The the November, December time frame. Me personally, I'm hoping this I'm hoping this this thing, if it's gonna run wild, let's 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 hope it runs wild in, in the summer where it's clearly more mild right now. It's not doing as well in the heat. It's, that's the numbers are showing that, but you know, come wintertime again, I I'd be concerned. I, I know this this disease does, does some permanent damage to people, so those are my thoughts. You on it. There you go. Okay, so follow us on Twitter at TalkRants. Follow me on Twitter at DC Paul. Follow Mike on Twitter at 1Do23. Don't forget us on Facebook, and we have the Facebook uh, room as well, the Rams Talk room, the group. So go check that out. If you have any questions, concerns, about the podcast, things you want to see, emails or answers on 1945. Oh my goodness, we got so in depth in conversation. We didn't talk about uh, Jim Hawk's book. Uh, Jim, by the way, if you're listening, I did get your email. I appreciate the words. I will get back with you. In the meantime, check out the book. Check out his book, Hollywood's Team. He's got a new version coming out, uh, getting more in depth on his dad. And I'm looking forward to reading that, as well as check out. All the Rams books that are out there right now. There's some really good Rams reading if you're at home and you're getting anything better to do because there's no sports. We'll, see, we'll be back sooner this time. We'll be back later on this week weekend, and hopefully you're there with us. See you. We're out of here. We're out. can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history still in the make? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. 
Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.